It's surprising in my surroundings. I'm finding the quietest estates these days. This representation of storm brewing. Amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry I got range. Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And this show is presented by Mercury Mile. Mercury Mile is fusing fashion and function for runners of all abilities, and it just takes three easy steps. I know this because I just did it last week, as I do every season of the year. So you just go on to mercurymile.com, you enter your sizes and preferences, and they ship you out a box of four to six curated items that you're going to love. And if you don't, you just send them back and you're not charged for them. It's so easy and simple. It just doesn't get better than this. And not only is it easy and simple, but you don't have to leave your house to get some of the best running gear in the business. Just go to mercurymile.com and use code RAMBLINGRUNNER10 at checkout to save $10 on your first box. So, today's episode, in a slight departure from the normal format, is Carrie Tollefson. So we're calling this Ramblings with Carrie Tollefson because we just touch on a lot of different topics that are currently going on in the running community. So, as opposed to the normal episode where it's a feature story or feature interview on a dedicated and inspirational amateur runner, we just talk the state of running and some of the topics that are near and dear to our hearts. So, I'm going to do this occasionally, um, depending on, actually, depending on the feedback. So I'd love to hear what you think about this episode. You can always message me or reply to me on Instagram at rambling underscore runner or shoot me an email at ramblingrunnerpodcast at gmail.com. But we'll do this occasionally, ramblings with fill in the blank. And for this first one, I'm going to be on here with my friend, Carrie Tollefson. So I hope you like what you hear. Before we get into it, also want to give a shout out to Megaton Coffee, the official coffee of the Rambling Runner podcast. I love this stuff. I drink it every morning. It's twice as caffeinated as your normal brew, but it's also really, really good. When you hear twice as caffeinated, I know my first inclination was, oh man, that must be a little bitter. It's not. It's really good coffee. And that's why I drink it every morning. And I've been doing so for about a year now. And what I also like to do is to get on in their monthly subscription plan, just have it sent out to you. It's just so much easier. Just go to megatoncoffee.com, enter the monthly subscription plan, and hey, you're busy. Just have your coffee sent to you. You don't have to go out and buy it. It's just going to be easier that way. So with that said, I hope you like this episode with Carrie Tollefson. Hello, Carrie, and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. I am super pumped, Matt. I always have fun texting with you or chatting with you about podcasting, but here we are together on your show. I know. I'm so excited. Well, you had me on your show mm-hmm. back, which was hysterical because I think <laughs> like the guest you had before me was Kara Goucher, <laughs> and I was like, Oh, these poor people who subscribe to this podcast. They like last week they got Kara Goucher and then this week they got Matt Chip. No. Like, like they must be like, oh they man, loved womp, womp. it. They loved it. They loved our basketball chatter and you know, just kind of hearing different things from two podcasters just trying to make it in life. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, you're like the the busiest woman in mm. show business from a running perspective. You're here, there, and everywhere. We're gonna talk at the end about what you did last weekend with the Carbon X Hoke One One. Um, 
just just the event the event they put on just everything around it which was like it was like so secretive and then it was like boom <laughs> world record attempt coming your way next weekend it was like holy cow this i know is it was crazy it was super fun but yeah totally different something that i've never done before and i'm re you know I-, I didn't race but i feel like i did so yeah we can chat about it yeah for sure so I contacted you a couple weeks ago because I had a number of listeners contact me. I always put out these polls, like, who do you want to hear from? And one thing that came back a lot was, hey, I don't know who you should talk to about this, but we'd love for you to talk about the topic that affects a lot of you know, late teenager and college runners, specifically women runners, regarding just body issues and... Um, and uh, eating disorders, disordered eating, and just that 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 genre of topic. Because uh, I, you know, to my surprise, a lot of my listeners are in that age demographic, and it's not something I've touched on in the past. So I reached out to you for this because not only are you, you know, someone who's well versed in the running community, you know, you're on TV for all of these big time races, like you just were on this weekend for the streaming of the Carbon X event, but also. You were, you know, an elite runner. You ran high in college. You ran, you know, this, you know, you did a lot of things. But you're also very plugged into this scene. Like you're also, I'm doing this little mini bio here. Please forgive me. Of you know, you're at the the, the Foot Locker National Championships. You're at all of these things. You're really plugged into the scene. So I couldn't think of anybody better who could touch on this from every different perspective than you. So I guess first question is. Just from an awareness perspective, how um, is how much of this topic do you feel like goes unaddressed, not only in terms of the general public, but even like running based media? Well, I mean, I think it is addressed, right? I mean, I think there's a lot of, you know, great articles out there. There's people that are willing to talk about it. Um, a lot of us professional runners that are now moving on in life and having children are very much you know, interested in telling these athletes that there's more to life than running. And we have to remember that, you know, being really good in the here and now is, is awesome. And that's what we we're striving to is try to get to that finish line first and to kind of take advantage of the day. Right. I mean, that's kind of what we have to do in this sport because you never know what tomorrow will bring, but as females, we really need to think about what tomorrow will bring and what we want our lives to be shaped like. So I do think there's awareness out there. I do think people talk about it. I know my college coaches and every college that I looked at when I was being recruited, that was a big thing for me to understand if I was going into an environment that kind of you saw a lot of of eating disorders come out of that environment, I was not going to be on a team where that was going to be something I had to deal with a lot of times, even though I did deal with it when I was at Villanova, a few women had it. Um, I still paid attention to the team and the surroundings I was in. So I do think there, there are articles out there. There's people that are willing to help. There's people that are willing to share their story and their personal battles with it. Um, but I do think an athlete needs to be aware of it themselves and to figure out the situation they want to put themselves into. And if there's someone that really struggles with it, they need to really remove them themselves from a situation that could, you know, be a little more prevalent or have it be a little bit more prevalent. So I think there's help out there, Matt. I think there's a lot of um, resources for us all. It's just, it's such a tough thing to deal with when someone has it. 
That's, that's exactly right. And, and that's one of the things too. And first of all, thank you for kind of correcting me there because I think it's also a topic that's, um, it can be hard for people to talk about insofar as when someone is going through an mm. issue like this, it can feel very lonely and it can feel like it's like you are certainly the circumstances surrounding anybody's illness or issues that they may be having are very personal mm-hmm. to them. And it feels like, Oh, this is only me. And this is, I'm very unique in this sense, but it's not a unique problem so to speak, even though the circumstances for each person are very personalized and unique, the problems in general, like, you, like as, as has been mentioned so many times, and there's so many metrics around this, they can be very mm-hmm. prevalent. Very right? much so. I mean, I think that, you know, an eating disorder for, for athletics, if that's how we can even say it. I mean, it's so hard for me to talk about it because it was so foreign to me, this, this problem, right? I mean, I never once thought of being someone that would do that to my body. And I, and I'm fortunate and I'm have a sister that kind of struggled a little time, a little bit with some eating and I just couldn't understand it. But yet I've been in the sport long enough to understand why other people go through it, but I just couldn't do that to myself. And I think that, um, the big thing that people that have, that have these disorders have to understand it's more than running, right, Matt? Like running is Mm-hmm. amazing. And we love that. And sometimes it maybe stems from wanting to be a better runner. But I think that when you have a disorder like this, it's, there's other things involved. There's other emotions, there's other incidences that maybe happened in their lives. And I do think maybe some stem from wanting to be very good and wanting to be as light as you possibly can and seeing that it happens with other people. But I think if you peel back the layers, there's more to the individuals that actually have an eating disorder that maybe have other things that have happened in their lives. So um, again, I would love for anyone that is ever having a problem like that to understand that there's so many of us athletes current and maybe former athletes, whatever you want to call us. I hate to say I'm a former athlete because I'm always an athlete. I see you running all the time, Carrie. But You're not like racing maybe, but we are here for you. You know, we want these young athletes to come up and to have the excitement and the joy and the pain and the sorrow and the grit and the perseverance that we have all had to deal with. And by all means, we want them to continue on to have the best life they can. And this sport gives me so much joy, but it also gives me a lot of sorrow at times, but it makes me a strong kick butt woman, Matt. And I just hope that athletes can seek out the right help and seek out the right coaches and the right teams so they don't have to deal with that. All right, well, let's talk about that because that's exactly where I wanted to go next because you brought this up in terms of your recruitment and how you were cho- chose a school. You went to Villanova, which is a very highly regarded academic school and also highly regarded in athletics. And the tradition there from a running perspective is also very strong just to grade the Penn Relays as well. So when you were going through the recruitment process, what part did just general health play in choosing a school and choosing a coaching staff um, when you were looking at, you know, comparing and contrasting different schools? Um, Probably was one of the first things that I did when I looked at a school. Uh, I asked my college coaches that were recruiting me, you know, if eating disorders was a big thing on their team. Um, I asked if they were going to weigh me in when I was being recruited or being, you know, the first week of school, I wanted to know how much weight that was, um, you know, on the recruiting process and also what it meant when I got to school. And 
uh, Villanova was first and foremost saying, do what you're doing now. And they knew that um, I was okay emotionally, physically, and ready to run and to come and be on a team that was one of the best in the, in the NCAA. So that was a really big thing for me. And when I went to Villanova, I just looked at the tradition and I saw that these runners kept on running and they were healthy and they had great lives. They were great students. And that was really important for me. Right. And I think the key thing there is like, is the idea of being mm-hmm. healthy. Right. And that's a very general term. It can mean a lot of different things, you know, depending on the context. But it's one of the it harkens back to the idea of the best ability is availability. Right. Like if, if you have something that's regarding your body, whether it's eat, disordered eating or injuries or just inability to function at your best, that's going to that it's it's counterproductive in every sense of the word. And like you said, a lot of times this isn't about running. This is about something deeper. Um, but it's just just from a, from a natural perspective, in order to perform at your best, you need to be able to run all the time. Being healthy is vitally important. And when you talk about being weighed in, what does what part does that play um, when you were at Villanova and you know just your ability to look at other programs in terms of monitoring athletes' health? I mean, anytime somebody said to step on a scale, I I, I would say right there that's a red flag. Um, you know, uh, that's for your doctor to do, not your coach necessarily. And, you know, my coach was one to watch my performance. And if I wasn't performing right, then we let's chat about it and then let's get some help along the way. But I just felt like that wasn't my, a role of a coach when to have me stand on a scale before I even, you know, was on the team and I had heard stories. So that's why it all became part of a thing for me. I had heard stories about, being recruited or going to different colleges where they would make you stand on a scale. And I was like, I am not doing that. I am a basketball player. (laughs) I am a runner. I am a, you know, I love to sing. I like to play trumpet. Like I had all kinds of things going on in my life and I did not want to be told I could or couldn't do something because of what weight I was. And that was one thing, like, I'm not very outspoken on a lot of things, but that was one thing I was pretty outspoken at 18 years old. Um, so, yeah, I just think that that was something that was really important for me. And I wanted my I wanted to be like my college coaches. When I went to Villanova, Gina Procaccio was my coach. And so was so was John Marshall. And John Marshall was an Olympian. Gina Procaccio was the U.S. national champion in the 5000 meters the summer before I went to Villanova. I wanted to be like them. They were both clearly very, very fit and very healthy and you know, it, it was sold. It was sold right away when they, they came and asked me if I wanted to wear an NCAA championship ring, like all the other ladies. Right. No, absolutely. And when you think about performing at your best and making sure that your body is ready to go and your mind is ready to go and you're ready emotionally as well. And I've, I've talked to individuals about this, shoot on a number of these podcasts and just the, the, the incorrect, inclination to look at weight versus performance not only for women but for men as well and just that not not to think of it as a causational even correlative um comparison between how fast you can run and kind of like with the weight perspective like less Mm -hmm. is more so for i know specifically for women this can be tough because especially if you look out at some of the elites out there it's, it's easy to just kind of pick and choose who you want to compare yourself to 
but the comparison trap is very prevalent and it can really send people down a negative cycle if they're not positively predisposed to kind of girding. Yeah. I mean, Matt, I used to be asked all the time if I was, a, you know, in different events, (laughs) um, because (laughs) they just thought that I was, you know, five, nine and, you know, looked like I had more muscles than maybe a 5k runner would and things like that. And that was fine. Bring it on. I laughed about it, but I had a different uh, appreciation to my body, I guess, at the time, like, um, I didn't have that inner struggle. Right. And I am not saying that, that, you know, anyone is weaker or stronger for having that. I just know it's a different disease and that's exactly what it is. It's a disease when you have that. And so it is a hard one. And I feel for anyone that goes through that. But I think the big thing in my career was, did I weigh myself? Yeah, I did weigh myself. I didn't want someone else to weigh me though. So I did stand, stand on the scale and I joke about it. Now I had the stomach flu this, um, the, just like a month ago, actually, April 2nd or something like that. Cause I knew it because I had, hadn't thrown up in, since 2003. Uh, <laughs> but I don't. Oh crazy. man, this is like, this is like I how don't. I met your mother. It's like puke free. Seriously, there we go. It's a shirt. I got to put that on a shirt. But anyway, um, I stood on the scale and I was like, yay, I'm back to, you know, where I probably would have raced. Uh, because I had thrown up and I was down. And then, you know what, two, two days later, I was right back up to where I am always. So I do get on the scale every now and then. And I do have those moments of being happy because I'm a little lighter. But, you know, I just have uh, a strong sense that it's okay to be a little bit heavier. But when I was racing, Matt, back to your question, when I was racing, I did compare myself to people. Um, I did look at their bodies and think, oh, maybe, but I never got myself to a point where it got to be an obsession. So there, I did have that healthy way of saying I could maybe take out some of these junk foods that I'm eating. I could maybe be a little healthier here. I could maybe get in the weight room a little bit more, but it was never a point of trying to be so light and so restrictive that it was detrimental. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And this is a topic where it's like, we all think about these sorts of things, right? And I know we all, it's, it's easy to assume that our own thought processes processes are just so individualized, but these are topics that we all think about mm-hmm. as runners. And it's, it, I remember talking to um, a couple other runners who have, who have faced uh, eating disorders, a woman who ran a university of Houston named Starla, who actually her coach you know, mm-hmm. held her out. It was like, no, you're not running anymore you know, until you hit these steps and, you know, was really proactive with her and really helped her in a lot of ways. And she had a podcast that went out today with this woman named Jordan who didn't start, didn't start liking running until she'd addressed her eating disorders. And it was really interesting to hear them talk about how once they've got it under control, their love for the sport just increased Mm -hmm. exponentially. And it was really one of those things where it, you know, it, it certainly helped, but it was also, hard for them because they were kind of experiencing this by themselves and the loneliness that's attached to it, the guilt. Um, I'm not speaking for them here, but just, I know just generally speaking, there can be shame involved and, and all of this. And it's so unfortunate because for so many people, you know, this can be something that you can talk to a confidant about and they probably can, you know, can really, you know, sit there and, and understand where you're coming from. And you don't, you don't have to suffer through oh, this Oh, most thing definitely. And I think that it's really scary if you do have to suffer with this on your own. Um, you know, the, the teammates that I've had, you, I'm kind of, I, 
I'm kind of somebody that I feel like, you know, I, I'm an open book. And so people share things with me because I share things with them. And I've had a lot of friends in the past that have had problems. And I, that's the first and foremost thing that I kind of recommend is I can be your friend through this, but I'm not a professional and I can't help you get better from this. So I think like finding the right professional counseling is really the first step, you know, with, with that being said, like finding a good friend that can maybe help you get there and, you know, take that jump into actually finding help. But I do want to bring awareness to the fact that there's a lot of athletes out there that think that professional running, there's a lot of eating disorders involved. And, you know, I think if you really look deep into professional running and, and athletes that have gotten past college, you won't find a lot of athletes that are really neglecting their body nutritionally. You can't do it at that level and you can't do it at the, the college level and you can't do it at the high school level. It breaks down. You break down mentally, maybe first, right. and then you break down physically. And it's just a really scary kind of slippery slope if you are somebody that's trying to kind of ride that line. You have to be super strong to not let yourself go there. And I, I really think that athletes that can be strong and try to fight through that urge of thinking lighter is better – really try not to get there because it's a real long struggle after. Right. I mean, it's hard enough to be a professional runner, even if everything is optimized. Most definitely. It's hard enough to, to stay healthy. Of, to, to, you know, I mean, you're training as much as you possibly can. If you're not fueling properly, that's just another, it's like a double whammy. Yeah, absolutely. And, and this, this touches on another thing I want to talk to you about. Um, not directly because it's not, if there's more to this topic than that, but just let me put it this way. I had Aaron Strout on the mm-hmm. podcast a few months ago. Actually, she wrote a really incisive article about the state of women's running coaching. And I guess the, the underrepresentation from a head coach's perspective on the amount of women who are involved at the college and professional level. And when we spoke off air, I had mentioned to you, like, it's such a funny, not funny, like, ha-ha funny, but it's, like, it's, like, laughable, you know, that this is even an issue, considering that it's, like, you don't need to be a certain gender mm. to be a good running coach. Like, it has nothing to do with gender in any way, and it's just unfortunate. So, in your, again, you're, you're all about this sport. You're, you're hitting it on every level. You're right there, high school, college, the pros. You know, you and you've been there as a runner as well. How have you seen the, um, I guess, increase and or uh, I guess it goes in the other direction, but just the, the representation of females in coaching positions of power over, say, the last 20 years? But, you know, how, how are we doing and what needs? to? Well, be I mean, I'm kind of excited about the state of running right now. I think there is a change happening. I mean, so, Matt, so, when I was being recruited by Villanova, Gina Procaccio was there. She was coaching but also still competing professionally. So for me, it was like, oh my gosh, I, when she came to my house on the recruiting trip, it was so cool because I was sitting there watching this woman that was getting ready to compete at the USA track and field nationals. And she wanted to be my coach. Like I was like, that's a no brainer because I want to be a professional runner too. And now you kind of see that like it's happening. There's a lot of athletes that are getting out of the professional world and moving into the, um, the, you know, college coaching. And I love it. I love seeing, for instance, my good friend, Amy Rudolph, who is a two-time Olympian, former American record holder is now coaching and just kicking butt. And there's, there's quite a few. So I do think times are changing. 
Yeah, she was at Providence College. I'm, yeah. I'm steps away from yeah. Providence College yeah, right now. I think you said you even used to watch some of the athletes out there run. I don't know if you saw her, but you see the professional runners running over your lunch hour sometimes. That's super cool. But, you know, yes. I think that that's what we needed, right? Like this, you see it, like, for instance, here at the Lynx, the Minnesota Lynx, we have uh, Lindsay Whalen coaching now. At the, she was there, and now she's at the University of Minnesota. So, I mean, we see these professional female athletes moving into the role of coaching, and I think that's why times are changing. Like, why not have female coaches? And, yes, like you said, we don't have to be just for female runners or female basketball players. We can be for either one. Right. And I do think it's, um, it's really exciting, exciting to hear Shalane Flanagan wanting to coach eventually and, you know, kind of dabbling into it here as we don't know what she's going to do next. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm pumped for the future of all athletics, whether you're a male or female, you need strong females out here. Let's just, let's just say it. (laughs) No, it's true. And it's, it's, I know for coaching in college, it can be a complex issue just because it's, you know, for it's especially turnover Mm -hmm. at the top jobs. It just doesn't happen very often. Right. So if you get if you get a great job, it's like, you know, shoot. So I'm steps away from PC. Like Ray Tracy doesn't want to yeah. go anywhere. He's been there forever. So it's like, how come a woman isn't coaching the head coach at PC? It was because Ray Tracy's been there forever. Yeah. He's not going to get fired. He's like, he's a really good coach. Like he's just not going anywhere. So you have, especially from a college perspective, there can be jobs that don't turn over. And that's just mm-hmm. the, that's just that's life. Right. Like you're not going to you're not going to push out like Gina's not going to get pushed out of Villanova. Ray's not going to get pushed out of, at PC. That's the way it goes. But it's interesting as we progress, if you see some people like basically like crossing that gender line where you have, say, Shalane Flanagan coaching like Matt Centrovitz, right? Like having something like that, because in running, there isn't this divide where it's like men's and women's lacrosse, say, which is like there, you know, there are similarities, but there are also different sports with the same name. Right. So if you play one, you don't, it's not exactly apples, apples comparison to the other. So women will coach women's lacrosse, men coach men's lacrosse running. It's just getting the most out of a runner period. And if you're, if you've been at that level and you've worked for other coaches, like there, I don't see any reason why there would be a divide there besides tradition. Yeah. There shouldn't be a divide necessarily. I mean, there are things, especially with female runners, that a female coach actually could probably help us a little bit more with just physi- physiologically. Um, yeah. If anything, that's it, more complex exactly, than, the men, than exactly. coaching the <laughs> You guys aren't as, you know, complicated as us females at time. No, we're, no, we're basic. <laughs> I don't we're know. Basic, though. I definitely sure, think Carrie. you have your monthly week. <laughs> I definitely do. I think guys go through their own hormonal change, <laughs> but um, no, I think you're right. I mean, especially in, in running or, you know, other sports that parallel the same with male and female. But um, one, I mean, there's a couple names that I think of that haven't, you know, necessarily been mentioned lately, but, you know, like Julie Henner, who Julie Henner, who raced as Julie Henner. Now she's been married for 13 years or something as Benson. So, um, you know, some people might know her as both, but Julie coached back in the day and she coached men and women when she was at Georgetown, she coached professionally. And so she kind of was one of the first ones to, to go back and forth with men and women, professional runners. And now she's coaching a little bit on the side and doing her own business that way. But you know, it's happened and it worked. So yeah, why not? Like, I just think even when I'm out there commentating on these races, 
you know, do they need a male to commentate on the male race? Heck no. Like we can do it no. both. And, and you see that too. You see that these races that these like, they'll, they'll cover a track. Of yeah. It. And like a woman will come in for the women's race and a man comes in for the man's race. You're like, there is no difference no. here. Like it's just I did running. like it necessarily though. And I thought that this was something that was funny, but when Alicia Montano was running pregnant in a couple of the races, I thought that would be cool to get in, uh, you know, just the advice or the experience from another female runner that has run through a pregnancy. Um, but you know, right. Right. And I, and I, and I didn't mean it like they shouldn't bring the woman in to talk about women's races. I thought it was funny that they're going away from the woman. If a man was racing, you're like, Oh no, if they've done their research and they know who's running, there is nothing stopping them Most from providing definitely. really good play. by Most play definitely. I mean, I mean, I think, I think the sport is so awesome that way. Like I go out for runs all the time with guys. We have the, the best conversations we have, you know, we talk about our training, we talk about our racing, we talk about our mentality. Like it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Most oftentimes than not, when I was running back when I was professionally, I was being led by a male pacer or I was going for runs with guys and you know, it's, it worked hand in hand. It was perfect. And yes, same goes for coaching. No, absolutely. And now as we, now in this era of, I feel like there's more and more private coaches popping up just because you can, you know, with these apps that allow you to coach remotely and with video capabilities, you see this more and more. And now all of a sudden you have Shalane, who's now looking to become a professional coach. Obviously she hasn't like been super explicit but like there's no mm-hmm. breadcrumbs there <laughs> you yeah. kind of see where this is going you know and then you know steph bruce has her yeah. own coaching business on the side which can be i think she coaches amateurs and things like that but at the same time she's involved in that while also having a family you know business interests and you know also setting out and winning the national championship in the half know, marathon this awesome. weekend. so obviously she's doing a lot at the same time which also dives into this coming year All right. So we have about nine months until the marathon Olympic trials, which obviously there's Olympic trials for a lot of things uh, track related. But I think this marathon Olympic trials for the men and the women is just getting so interesting. Like, I feel like I feel like there's this like the start of like a regular season. You you love hoops. Mm -hmm. So do I. I feel like this is like the beginning of like a basketball (laughs) regular season is starting right now. And like the playoffs start like. Oh, for sure. Because because you have this this awesome buildup is going to happen and people are start choosing their races in the fall. Like, are you getting really excited for this? Because I find myself thinking. About oh, this for all sure. I mean, I do think like it's so interesting to see now who is actually jumping in some of these races that might be not quite the majors or you know the gold label races. Races. It's more like they're jumping into some of these smaller ones just to try to nail it. And we're going to see some fast races, I think, in some of the smaller marathons which is great for everyone involved but you know having to kind of switch their plans maybe a little bit last minute maybe some weren't planning to do a fall marathon now runners are and um yeah it's always like what's happening next where are they going what are they doing it's really cool yeah i know right i know it's like you, you think you got it all figured out and then not that this was a surprise but then emily sisson comes in and oh like yeah drops the hammer in london and you're like all right game so what on does this mean like and then and then Kellen Taylor drops a 111 first <laughs> first half split. Yeah. You know, this weekend it's like, "Oh my gosh, this race is going to be insane." So, what do you think how do you think elites are going to approach marathon prep 
for next February, considering that the race course in Atlanta is going to be so unique regarding the topography and the constant turns. And there's basically, there's almost no chance of reaching that, that marathon standard that you need um, to act to, to, to qualify for the Olympics in that race. Like, how do you think the strategy is going to play a part in the actual execution and how people are preparing for? Well, I mean, I think that there's a lot of people that are thinking about that time. They want to get the time out of the way. So I think that's where the scramble is, is trying to find a flat, fast marathon to try and nail that or to try and place, you know, in the top five or top 10 in some of these races that you can do so. Um, now placing is out of time, right? There's not a lot of gold label races and there's not a lot of majors left. So they, that, and that's hard. It's hard to do that. So I do think we are going to see, um, maybe a couple more people trying to nail a fast time. That being said, um, you know, I think it's going to get interesting at the trials. I think they're going to have to be a few people that go for it. So it will keep the race maybe a little bit more honest, um, but it's going to be really tough. And I know that they're, they're, they're scrambling. Everyone's scrambling, you know, even Rich Kana at Atlanta track club was just feeling so bad because it, he knows it's going to be a tough course, but that was, that's what happens. And so he's, you know, just been an open book trying to tell the athletes, you know, what he thinks they can do and that it should be a fair game for everyone. Now, that being said, I'm not quite sure if it's finalized, like everything, on how they're going to get to Olympics. It's still kind of a question mark as to if the, the rules will be changed. But yeah. as of right now, I would say Scott Fable should be pretty excited about where he's at. <laughs> um, you know, knowing yeah. that he can run that fast, but also that he did re- re- really well in Boston. And um, Jared Ward should be excited about it. And um, Galen Rupp should be excited about it. And then there's so many women right now that are just killing it. Uh, it's going to be an interesting race on, in February. That's for sure. And how much do you think experience, race experience, will play in the Olympic trials for the marathon? I, I think of someone like Emily Sisson, who's obviously extremely mm-hmm. talented, has kind of really has like hit every benchmark so far in her career that you'd want an elite marathoner to hit, you know. And yet at the same time, it's feel like it's going to be such a tactical race. How do you think that will play out in terms of? maybe the more experienced marathoners versus the ones that maybe only have one or two under their belt. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, uh, the marathon is such a tough one. You know, if you were asking me about the 1500, it's a different story. Um, but the marathon, you know, they have so much prep for that one day and you can't, you know, you just can't screw up too, too early on in the race because you really can pay for it. So, um, I would have to say like an Emily Sisson, she'll play it safe by knowing where she needs to be. And she will run aggressive enough, you know, as aggressive as as she can to see the top three and and to make it. I do think you're going to see people fighting for that top three finish regardless. Um, I don't think you're going to see somebody from, you know, playing it so cool that they're going to be eighth place and just think they're going to make the team. You know, I I think you're going to see it aggressive enough up front that um, we'll have a good race on our hands. Yeah, we'll see if we'll have someone like um, the Geffa who, you know, at, at Boston, like, goes out at, like, the 10K mark. You know what I mean? I feel like if that happens in next February, everyone's going to be like, oh, my God. Are yeah. they going to chase? Like, what well, is that is a different right story. I mean, there might be one person, like, one wild card that goes for it, like, crazy mad. And, you know, 
Right, like, yeah, like but I to think lose. that you're going to yeah. see a, a pack that is, you know, pretty solid and works together to get to that final, even if it's 10K or, you know, if it's the last 5K. It might be more of a sit and kick type marathon, if you could even say that in the same sentence. Um, but you might see it a little bit more aggressive that last 10K, I'd say. But, you know, for instance, like, and I know we're going to chat about him later on in the podcast here, but Jim Walmsley. Okay, let's do it but now. He's, let's do he's it right interested now. in running the, the marathon trials, and we'll have to see because he's qualified by running a 64-minute half, and he is a guy that will, you know, go crazy if he needs to next February and if he really wants to try to be mm. in the top three. You know, he's never run a marathon before, so it's a big, like, question mark for him, And but he, yet he stated that he would like to place in the top three there. So he might be that guy that goes for it, and breaks it up a little bit and, you know, throws a little wrench in everyone else's plan. That's a great point. You're right. Cause say he goes out and does that exact thing, right? So he goes out at mile six and just takes off. You can't automatically assume that he won't get home because he's an ultra marathon. Well, right. Like, like he's, he's going to have strength, but you wonder if he can marry the speed with the strength. But if you're say a two fourteen guy and he goes out and does it and you're looking mm-hmm. at Galen you're looking at Scott, you're looking at Jared Ward, and you're like, oh, my God, if he takes one of the first three spots, I got to mm-hmm. outkick these guys. Like, you might be tempted to go out and chase yeah. him. Yeah, I mean, you have to respect someone like Jim Walmsley. I mean, you have to know his background. You have to study your athletes, and a lot of people don't like to do that. You know, there's many of my competitors never wanted to know who was on the line. And in a marathon, you have to know who's on the line. You have to know what their, mm. you know, what their kind of, their tools are in their toolbox. Right. And that for Jim Walmsley, I mean, he's got such a strong head on his shoulders because he has to in an ultra marathon. Um, He can go the distance. We know he can run 26.2 miles. He's got speed behind him. He was a great college runner. Um, Yeah. I mean, I just think you have to respect anyone in that level, but I also think you have to (laughs) stay within, you know, your own, boundaries and for Galen who's run so fast that's maybe you know he might I don't ever think you have a shoe in in any race but you know he can maybe be a little bit uh less aggressive early on um I think Scott Fobble we've seen him run 209 he's got a great head head on his shoulders Jared Ward super super consistent um but there's going to be some wild cards and I think that all of the athletes that are towing the line that day need to know that there's somebody that's going to go for it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And as a, as a professional broadcaster, I would, I want to see like the making of (laughs) the training, right? Like, you know, like you watch like a big boxing event. They'll always have like the, the, I think back to like 10 years ago, they'll have like the hour long documentary that details like all the training that the person went through for three months. I want to see that for like the top 10 contenders. on So do I. Like, we need to get I would love done. to see that. It's just a funny thing with runners is, you know, they don't really share a ton. And, you know, we're talking a lot about Jim Walmsley. He's a little different. He puts every single run on Strava, every single run. So he tells people what he's doing every single day, which is different. Um, but, you know, we only hear tid- tidbits from certain people about certain workouts. And, and you know, Fobbs does it. He tells a lot of people about what he does. Um, but, like, our – you know, I think what everyone's watching right now is if Galen's going to come back from this injury, what he's doing, and they just kind of keep that under wraps. So 
Yeah, I would love that. I mean, if you can make it happen, let's do it, Matt. I know. We got to join forces here, Carrie. The the podcast (laughs) world on it. No, because it's it's so funny how how runners really keep this under wraps because it's so funny because you hear it. You hear people talking like Mm -hmm. both sides out of their mouth, out, out of both sides of their mouth. Right. You have the idea of like, I can't tell anybody what I'm doing because this is proprietary information. And it can hurt me on race day. But then at the same token, you'll have the same person tell you, like, don't follow anyone else's training plan because it doesn't mean anything <laughs> for you. So it's like, wait, which one is it? I know. <laughs> Both of these things. I know. Can't and really, true. how much different is the training when it comes down to it? You know, I, I, there's. Right. There's some, there's a few staples in this world of distance running that we have to get done. And maybe we, there's some variety in there, but I don't know if it's so different that you couldn't share it, but I get it. You know, when I was a prof- professional athlete, you know, there were workouts that I kind of thought that's mine. You know, I don't need to share that with everyone, but, um, now that, you know, I've been sharing, everyone does the same stuff. <laughs> They all do. And it's also, and you know this as well as anybody, that when you when you race at that level, the difference in physical ability, just generally speaking, mm-hmm. is negligible. You know what I mean? It's like just you know who how you are on that day can so often be, you know, mental yeah. and emotional. And, you know, obviously marathon is different because there's a lot more components there. But it, it, it is so interesting that you I just wish like you could just open it all the way up. Because it would make it so fascinating to then follow the day by day of like, hey, did you see Jim Walmsley's 800 meter mm-hmm. repeats? Or did you see this? Did you see that? Right? Or did you see Emily Sisson's like eight mile tempo run? Like it would be so yeah. fascinating is it would really build the interest up more and more and more to follow it day after day and really get to fully invest in the people that you follow or even people that you're hoping get beat. Right. You can probably like, Oh no, I this know it's killing it. I don't want them to, well, it would almost be away. better for the people at the Olympic trials to not be able to look at anyone else's training and only the public could see their training. Oh, wouldn't that because, be that would be yes, great. Because when we as professional athletes look at other people's training, usually that's when there's an injury that gets involved because you know, we start yes. to say, well, that was, this is my workout, but so-and-so is doing this. And so let's try and combine the two. And, you know, they don't have the whole plan that the coach has them on. They're just trying to add, you know, tids and tidbits here and there. And um, so, yeah, it'd be really interesting to like not know what another professional runner was doing if you were a pro and just let the general public kind of watch that and then make, you know, make like an ultimate plan for the whole universe to use <laughs> there you go there you go it's like an app that you can only you have to yeah. sign into and they like they like they'll, they'll decline you access if you're a professional yeah but runner. you know what's funny is i feel like professional runners get kind of in trouble for not sharing their stuff not in trouble maybe that's too harsh but you know we have no clue what lebron james is doing day in and day out no clue no no but you get to but see his games to, i guess that's but we the get to see our races you get to, yeah, but it's not like, I guess, I guess I view it like this, like the, I just, I don't feel like I, I get, I get on at least for not doing it. I just feel like it's a missed opportunity. But then do we get to see like going back to basketball? Because that's just my thing. Do we get to see yeah. every play that they run? I mean, we can watch their plays and learn it, mm-hmm. but, or like in baseball, you know, we don't know what the third baseman is yelling at people. Cause they have different hand signals. They have different words, whatever. And so, you know, it's yeah. kind of the same with us in, 
I do agree. I'd love to hear everyone's training, but it also kind of leaves a little bit of that mystery involved. So it makes it a little bit more fun to see, you know, if people are going to be able to beat so-and-so because of what they're doing at home at, you know, all that stuff. So it is, it's, it's fun. That's for sure. That's fair. I guess I'm just selfish. I'm I just selfish know. too. I'm I just right want there to see with it. you. I totally agree. <laughs> totally agree. Um, all right. So let's dive into what you did this weekend because holy cow, you told me that things were happening and you're like, I can't tell you what's happening. And then like, oh man, Hoka One One. And I always, that's perfect. You said it I right. I apologize. All right. All right. Um, you know, it's like a week ago, they just make this surprise announcement. So when did you first get contacted? If you can say uh, to, to, to work this event and what was it like? just, you know, being, being a part yeah, of it. I mean, it's, it's only been about two months since I've known, but I had to sign a contract, you know, like secrecy. And that yeah. for me is hard. Like I always thought, how do the bachelor and bachelorettes do that? Like they don't say anything and it's aired after and all this stuff. But this time around, I did a pretty good job. I didn't tell anybody. Um, I just, t- my husband knew that I had to go. Um, but, you know, I think that they've been talking about it. Hoka Ononi has been talking about it for about four years. So it's, it's been a long time in the coming and, or in the making, whatever you want to say. And uh, they, they really just let it out of the box last week. I think it was on May 1st, wasn't it? And then the event was May 4th. Yeah, it was so yeah. fast. I remember I texted you like right when announcement, like, Hey, do you want to do the pod? <laughs> I'm like, I don't race? have time. <laughs> this is wild. Um, so what, what was the thinking behind just from a PR perspective? If you know, like what was the thing about behind like the really tight window between announcement and well, I think, you know, logistics for one, um, making sure the athletes were in agreement to doing it. I'm Hunter K is no joke. I mean, that is a long way. And yeah. a lot of the athletes that are were in the race were tra- are training for things, especially like Jim Walmsley, who they were really putting a lot of time and effort in is getting ready for Western States again, where he just broke the record last year. And, you know, there's a lot of pressure on him. So I think they wanted to make sure they were going to have enough athletes um, that could make it a good race. They had enough pacers. They needed to get, you know, the whole production side of things um, ready. And so, yeah, there was just a lot. And also just making sure their shoe was ready in time and what they wanted it to be. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And it was a very, it was a unique event because you had this, this streaming service and you guys were on it and you had, you're tracking these different runners and it was, it was really unique to watch it. What was the challenge for you in terms of announcing it and um, just from a prep perspective and then get, and then, you know, race day. Well, execution. first and foremost, I have done the ultra Ragnar. That's what I've done in the ultra world. <laughs> I had long breaks in between <laughs> and it was super hard, but it was not an ultra race like these guys and gals are used to, you know? Um, so totally different ball game with a different level of running that I've ever been used to commentating on. Um, it was a, about an eight hour, nine hour production. So I went to the bathroom once in nine hours. Uh, but I have been on the back of a bike, six months pregnant. Talk about stamina. Uh-huh. Talk right? about stamina. Forget Jim Walmsley. To be honest, I was completely <laughs> shot. Like, Sometimes I, even when I do marathon commentary, sometimes I feel like, I think I'd rather run it (laughs) because you do get, you get worn out in a different way. Uh, But I love it. You know, both are thrilling racing and, and doing the commentary. Um, But I want to say, I guess the other challenging thing for us when we were doing the commentary, Tony Revis and I, 
along with Eric Sensman and Julie Benson, um, who I was just speaking about uh, earlier, we were all, all four of us were out there the entire day with our crews. You know, the crew was out there too. And um, I think the hardest part for us was when they got to the, to the loop part of the course, they did nine 4.7 mile loops. And like Mark, Mike Wardian, we thought he had finished and he had one more to go. So there was one big mistake there, but you know, that's part of it. And that was part of the ultra running world. Like things happen like that. And um, they're lovely people. Like I love runners in general, you know, track athletes, cross country runners, road runners. But now I have another new family with the ultra runners because I'm hooked. It was amazing, Matt. Like I hope people understand that. I don't know if I'm going to become an ultra runner, but I am now a true fan of it. Cause I've actually watched one from start to finish and man, they go through a lot. Yeah, that's for sure. I don't know if I, I feel like my favorite genre of running book mm-hmm. is like the ultra running. Genre. Sure. Just because it's so, um, there's just so much that goes into yeah. it. There's like these epic, there's like these, there's like every race is in and of itself, like this epic novel in yeah. a sense, right? There's like, there's highs and lows and you go from like, you know, dread and disappointment to two miles later, you're like on cloud nine, like it's such a different and unique experience. And then you couple that with just the pure excellence, excellence of seeing someone drop a 548 mile pace into <laughs> that. You're like, Oh my God, like this is just, it just feels superhuman. And like, as you mentioned, like his training is out there for mm-hmm. anyone to see. It really is. It's, it's like this phenomenal alchemy of all the things that you want out of a run. Yeah. I mean, and even seeing like the winner Yamuchi to be so far behind Jim. And then we realized after a while that Jim Walmsley was going for the 50 mile world record. So he was pushing hard to get there. The heat was climbing, you know, there was no wind whatsoever. It was exposed pretty much the entire way. It was a tough day for the runners, but to see the eventual winner Yamuchi just kind of, show why he's so gritty, why he's a two-time world champion at 100K. It was really interesting. And yes, you're right. Like there are so many different chapters of that book, you know, if you want to just call it that. Like it was an amazing story that was written out there on that day. And um, so many athletes had so many things to say. And, you know, I watched Sabrina Little, the winner of the women's race, and she ended up being the only woman, woman to finish the 100K. But she, you know, you could see in her body, it was going, she was going through different stages throughout the race and kind of coming in and going out. And um, yeah, it was unreal. And I loved every minute of it. It, those eight hours that we were actually talking about those runners flew by, like you wouldn't believe. Man. So you start doing an eight hour podcast. Now that you're used to the time. (laughs) No way, Jose. I will just go out and watch everyone else. And let everyone else do the editing and take care of all that because that would be a long edit. <laughs> there you go. All right. Last thing before we get going, you've been so generous with your time, and I really appreciate it. Is you had another announcement two weeks ago? Your uh, your association with yeah, Wellbeats. I'm going to be one of the well. Right now, I'm the only run instructor. They're calling it a run coach as well. Um, where I'm going to be able to be in your ear or what you guys can watch me on your iPad, but. Uh, you know, giving workouts and we are so excited for the, the run channel, the strides channel is what they're calling it to launch. And, you know, there's a lot of audio workouts out there right now, but I think this is going to be really fun because they're going to give you other ideas to do when you aren't running every day. Cause let's face it, when 
you know, most of us aren't running every single day. And it's, it's kind of nice that this WellBeats app will give you different options and, you know, different coaches along the way. But I'm super excited. Like anytime I can share my knowledge and my joy and my love of this sport with people, it's a no brainer. So WellBeats is right here in Minnesota. I've worked with some of the, some of the um, people that work there in different avenues in my life. And so it's, it's just going to be really cool. All right, so you can check that out. I know it's like their handles on the social medias are basically it's at WellBeats mm-hmm. and is it WellBeats.com yep, yep. as well? You can do that. And it used to just be a private corporate app. Now it's becoming public or it is public. So uh, anyone can do it. There you go. See, you always get more carry time. <laughs> you can listen to the C. Tolly Run podcast. You can listen to eight hours <laughs> worth of, of ultra marathon coverage or she can be there with you on every run. Carrie, you have become such a dear friend Aww. in terms of commenting all the time on running and podcasts. We're always shooting text messages back and forth. I really appreciate it. And thank you so much for everything you're doing for the thank running Thank you. And, you know, kind of just to give a little overview of what we talked about, I just want to make sure that anyone that is struggling in this world of running, male, female, with whatever it is, injuries, eating, training, whatever, like we are here for you guys. And, you know, you can contact me on any of my social media or at carrytellison.com or whatever. But um, I think all runners just want to see everybody succeed in life. And so we want to help everyone through that. So thanks, Matt, for letting me be on your show. Well said. Thank you, Carrie. Thank you, Carrie, for coming on the show. And thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. Thank you for sharing, rating, and reviewing the podcast. And of course, a big shout out to both Mercury Mile and Megaton Coffee for sponsoring this episode. I love them both in large part because of just the convenience they provide to my life. I can just order this stuff from the privacy and comfort of my own home, and that's exactly where it's sent. I'm busy enough as it is. I don't want to be going out buying running gear and coffee if I can just have the best stuff sent right to my home. So go to mercurymile.com and megatoncoffee.com to see for yourself. Thank you so much for listening, and happy running. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest estates these days. This representation of storm brewing, amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry I got range.